This is Mission.org. I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Marketing Trends and the Leeds Art Week. Hello, and welcome to Marketing Trends. This is producer Ben Wilson. Today's episode features an interview with Jonathan Mildenhall. Jonathan is the co-founder and CEO of 21st Century Brand. He previously served as the CMO of Airbnb, Senior Vice President at Coca-Cola, and Managing Director at TBWA. On this episode, Jonathan explains what it takes to develop a successful 21st century brand. He also talks about how to drive organic conversation and how to effectively work with agencies. Enjoy. Marketing Trends is brought to you by Salesforce Pardot, B2B marketing automation on the world's number one CRM. Are you ready to take your B2B marketing to new heights? With Pardot, marketers can find and nurture leads, close more deals, and maximize ROI. Learn more by visiting pardot.com slash podcast, or click on the link in our show notes. Welcome to Marketing Trends. I'm Ian Faison, Chief Content Officer here at Mission.org. And across from me in studio, Jonathan, how's it going? Oh, it's great. Thank you very much for having me. It's actually quite exciting to see the creative process. Yeah, it's fun to have you uh, in studio hanging out. Funny, it's our uh, it's our team on site this week. So you got to see a bunch of mission employees shuffling around, which is pretty fun. Yeah, you're much bigger than I thought. There were lots of you running around. You know, it's... Uh, a lot of moving parts and a lot of uh, trains passing in the night here. We like to say, much like, uh, I don't know, I think there's the British Empire back in the day, the sun never sets without uh, somebody working on a mission podcast somewhere. I think that's what it- <laughs> I love it. Okay, so today we're going to talk about everything that it means to be a 21st century brand, which is both the name of your company and also a really interesting way of looking at marketing going forward. We're also going to do a little bit about your background as the former CMO at Airbnb and SVP at Coca-Cola Company and a few other really cool stints. But first, how'd you get into marketing? Mm -hmm. It's a great question because it was kind of by accident. Um, I was fairly bright at school uh, and was one of the few kids in my year at school to go on to college. And I went on to college to do general business and finance. And I thought that I was going to be an accountant. And at the end of my first year, I was 19 years old. I failed three exams. I've never failed anything in my life before, but I failed three exams. And I sat down with my careers advisor because I thought I was going to get thrown off the course. And um, she said to me, she said, why are you majoring in finance? With a personality like yours, you should change and major in marketing. And really at the time, I didn't understand what marketing was. And so I went off and did my own research and I really uncovered the advertising industry. And in 1990, I became the first ethnic minority to be taken on by McCann Erickson London in their history of graduate recruitment. And I had 15 years of working on some of the really, really cool global brands, doing some amazing creative work. Uh, And then I had an epiphany that I'd spent 15 years in work and I'd never actually made a decision. I just made a load of recommendations and I decided that I wanted to be a decision maker rather than a recommender. So I went off to Harvard Business School and on graduating from Harvard Business School, 
I ended up getting a call from a headhunter in Chicago who said, would I know of anybody who um, might fill this particular brief? And it was for vice president of global advertising and creative at the Coca-Cola company. And to be honest with you, it was a job that was way, way beyond my capabilities. But I thought, why not throw my own hat in the ring for that? And at least I'll get a weekend in Atlanta. <laughs> and that's what I did. I, I flew to Atlanta and met some really, really cool leaders from the Coca-Cola company. And in uh, December 2006, I emigrated from the UK to Atlanta, Georgia, and started my career in marketing. And it's been brilliant, really, ever since. It's a pretty amazing process, especially like when you speak English already, obviously, and you come and you say, I have to go through all these steps to get this job. But yet you're at a global company that has, I mean, is it the most recognizable brand in the world? I'm not sure. It's the most recognizable brand. And in 2006, it was the most valuable brand, but it's since the value has been usurped by Apple and I believe Google. And you're jumping into a role that you may or may not know what you're doing. Definitely did not know what I was doing. <laughs> kind of sounds a little bit like starting your own company, right? <laughs> I feel like we might, we might get into this a little bit, but, and, and I'd love for you to like, let's start getting into the 21st century brand stuff because you recently started this company and it's going to be something that I think every single CMO is going to need to be looking at is, is this kind of 21st century brand thing. Were there any thoughts as you're starting this company that you were drawing from those Coca-Cola days? Mm, yeah. I, what I learned at Coke was the power of a brand. And what I learned at Coke was the currency of storytelling. I really do believe that uh, the currency of humanity is not the dollar or the yen or the euro or the pound. The currency of humanity is story. And Coca-Cola, the experience of Coca-Cola uh, actually taught me the craft of storytelling and how important storytelling is. And the strongest brands in the world are those that understand the premium on story. And so without question, I was taking my belief in brand, and I've always been a brand junkie, always, uh, and my ongoing capability of telling great stories and just fusing those two things together. And in Silicon Valley, Silicon Valley questions the role of brand and is quite apathetic when it comes to the role of story. Uh, and I really did feel that there was an increasing awareness and appetite for brand-driven marketing that was sharing stories with its communities that really move people. Not to go off on a, on a tangent here, but it is funny that you say that because how many times do you see like logo redesigns, you know, in this, in this space? I mean, how many times does Coca-Cola rebrand its logo? versus the average technology company. And it is one of those things, like I think it's such a salient point because we talk a lot about, you know, the power of these things that last for years and the power of making a company that lasts. And yet people change 
their entire brand overnight. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it's wild. And, and and yet you look at, you know, tech is a fantastic, fantastic uh, industry um, because without question, the ongoing impact that technology is having on the way that we eat, shop, bank, communicate, document our lives. And technology is so transformational to the human existence. But at the same time, I could write a business book with you here now about the value that technology companies kind of leave on the table because they don't invest in a brand that actually means something of significance to its audiences. And so what you see is as technology evolves, some incredibly powerful companies lose their relevance and get gobbled up by competitors or just kind of like disappear altogether. And look at what's gone on at Yahoo. It's incredible. That was an amazing tech company, but it didn't invest in the brand. It stopped understanding its consumer and the, the entire company just kind of evaporated in the course of two decades. That wouldn't happen at uh, a company like Coca-Cola, who you're absolutely right. Its logo has been changed once. Its formula has never been changed. The contour bottle has never been changed. There's legacy in those brands that create incredible touch points for uh, human beings all over the world. And I think it's so important to recognize that it means something to be a 21st century brand. You worked as the CMO of Airbnb for a number of years and made that transition into tech from the world of you know, one of the most powerful brands in the world to a company that wanted to be one of the most powerful brands in the world. What was that like? Mm. It, it was terrifying, to be <laughs> honest with you. I didn't even know what an engineer was. <laughs> oh my, goodness. my first day at Airbnb, I'm walking around Airbnb and I go to somebody who was showing me the offices. Why do those people have two computer screens? Oh I literally had never seen a software engineer. I'd never been in the presence of a software engineer. Here I was coming from a legacy organization yeah. that was basically birthed in the 19th century. Yeah. And I was working for three founders, three amazing founders who at the time Airbnb was only four years old. And these founders were like, we want to be the next global super brand. We want to be a Coca-Cola or a Nike or an Apple you come and help us figure out how to do that from a brand perspective. But first, I had to figure out what a tech company was. I had to figure out what a data scientist did and what an engineer did and what a product designer did. Uh, and uh, so I spent the first, well, all of my time at Airbnb, to be honest, just understanding, asking some of the most basic questions, just understanding how tech companies build things. Because it's a kind of invisible process compared to a 20th century manufacturing organization. But, you know, the, the truth is where Coca-Cola taught me about the power of brand and the power of story, moving to a company like Airbnb taught me about the power of dreams and the power of vision and the power of ambition. And uh, whilst I was working at Airbnb, the company was driven by ambition and it was fearless. And that's for the first time in my career, I actually had the benefit of working inside an organization that was fearless. 
Uh, and that meant that when the entire organization is fearless, anything is possible. And I think that Airbnb has proven that. I love the idea of ambition as a marketing, as a hallmark of a marketing toolkit, because a lot of times we look at things that other marketers do. We even have a question in the podcast we always ask about what, you know, what ad have you seen that you're jealous of, right? Like this idea of like, who's the person who's pushing the envelope? People always say the Nike Colin Kaepernick ad. They always say the Gillette ad. They always say the things that push the envelope. Why is ambition a hallmark of a 21st century brand? And ultimately, I mean, and we could take a step back. What is a 21st century brand? What, what has changed in the last 10 to 20 years that make the needs of building a brand different? Mm. I have a very, very strong opinion on what it takes to be a successful 21st century brand. And there are basically four component parts. The first is a purpose that transcends the business plan, transcends the business model. So do we have a point of view on the world tomorrow or humanity tomorrow uh, that is bigger than the numbers um, that this business is setting out to achieve? If you get that right, then chances are you'll be able to compete in the marketplace and get customers. Secondly, you'll be able to attract and retain the best talent. And the interesting thing is, um, the younger the workforce, the more important purpose is. Yeah. And you've got to be really, really clear. Young workers today want to know that the hours spent are helping create a better world. So that's column number one. Column number two is community driven. Now, a lot of organizations talk about customer centricity. That's okay, but it's not good enough. Community driven is when you've got systems and processes in an organization that have the community that you're serving help you evolve the product and help you involve the marketing. And so at Airbnb, we were very, very clear, the role of the community to help us shape the product and the role of the community to help us figure out what stories to tell. So that's column number two. Column number three is tech enabled. Now that seems obvious, but is the technology designed with human flow in mind? Does the technology have these moments of delight and surprise baked into it? If you got that right, then you've got an opportunity of really truly scaling all around the world. And then the final and fourth column is narrative-based. You know, we have to ensure that there isn't a cigarette paper between the narrative of the investors, the employees, and ultimately the community that you serve. So purpose-led, community-driven, technology-enabled with an excellence of narrative. If you get those four things right, then you're going to be an unstoppable 21st century brand. I absolutely love this framework and part of the reason why we're so excited to have you on the, on the show. I mean, it speaks to us as a company. Obviously, we named our company Mission for this exact reason. <laughs> I mean, it's this idea of purpose, of having something in the future that you're building towards. And again, not every single company out there is going to do this. Definitely not every company is going to do this right. But if you want to be a 21st century brand, if you want to be something that is relevant for 100 years, you need to be building towards something. And the idea of community, you know, I, I, we were talking before this, like our company has three C's. We talk about our community. We talk about our customers. 
And then we talk about creatives. Like if you can empower those three things for us, that's what success looks like, you know? And I think a lot of companies talk about the values of their company internally, but don't necessarily market the future that they want to create and aren't telling stories in the future that they want to create in the future sense where they put their brand in the future. You know, we we did an awesome episode with Peter Schwartz where he talked about how they built Minority Report and why they why they wanted companies, you know, Spielberg wanted companies to be part of this, to have the Lexus in there of what Lexus looks like and why that company was so excited. We saw that again with, you know, Black Panther with, you know, this movie that's going to be seen by billions and billions of people over time that has Lexus put into this. Those are the type of things that if you want to be a company in the future, you need to think about what that stuff means. When you're sitting down and working with companies at 21st Century Brand, how do you help them see the future? How do you help them think about themselves and try to figure out what it means to be a 21st century brand? Mm-hmm. We have um, a really powerful process. Uh, and first of all, it starts with unlocking the humanity and the vulnerability and the hopes and dreams and the ambition of the founders. And it's Uh, Totally understandable. Some of these companies grow so fast and and end up enjoying such massive profiles that actually some of that founding DNA, some of the hopes and the aspirations, not for the business, but for the world that these ideas were going to be birthed into, uh, some of those get lost along the way. And so a lot of our process about the future starts with such a deep and sometimes personal interrogation of the past. Yeah. Uh, And I am at my absolute happiest when I have one of my founders uh, of one of our client companies around my kitchen table as part of our kickoff and I'll make them breakfast or I'll make them dinner. And I'm literally cooking whilst I'm interviewing them. It is remarkable that the, the power of the stories that are shared around my kitchen table are just incredible. Yeah, like the why behind, like, well, why'd you do that? Why'd you think to do this? Why'd that, you, like, it's just fascinating. That's that's right. And you you used a word that is not used enough in marketing and in brand development, and that is ambition. And the reason why it's such a powerful word is ambition is personal. And there's not enough personal commitment from the marketing community into their brands. I've always been incredibly ambitious for my brands. I've been incredibly ambitious for the stories that I'm going to put out there into the world. Uh, And quite often I will say to my creative partners, my ambition for this is I want to move people or I want to be the most talked about brand when we launch this thing. Or my ambition for this is the number one ad on Super Bowl. I put huge ambition out there and then my creative partners or my business partners and now my clients kind of respond and more often than not exceed my ambition. We talk about on the show a lot about the idea of being remarkable. And the point is to actually be remarked about. (laughs) The point is that that. people have a conversation. Oh my, I love that. I love that. That's really powerful. Listen, listen up. That was really powerful. (laughs) But like, it should be the moment where they go home and they tell their spouse about something. It should be the moment where they, you know, tell their co-founder or forward the link or do, you know, t- 
do that thing. I mean, I think we get so caught up in the action of like, are they taking the action? Are they clicking the thing? Are we doing this stuff? But it's like 90% of, of like deals that close have some type of word of mouth. Always. They talk to somebody, whether it's they looked at a site and looked at what other people said about it, or they talked to a friend or whatever it is. That's being remarkable, right? People are going to find out about your, about your company. If you give them the ammunition to go do that, then people are going to talk about it, but you can't give them ammunition that doesn't work. Like you can't, it's like, Hey, you know, that really stale, boring thing that nobody <laughs> ever wants to see. Like it's not. And that's, and that's why I think a lot of the business units that are out there right now, nobody goes home and talks about a 300 by 250 display ad. It's because it's super boring and no one cares. Like, yes, that can drive engagement after you have positioned the market in a certain way, but ultimately like, that's not the unit of measure that we, we should be optimizing towards. Totally right. I've always believed this. And in fact, it was in a Coca-Cola manifesto that you can find online uh, on YouTube. If you search content 2020, you will see the Coca-Cola company's creative manifesto about content and content creation. And my team and I produced that in, I think it was 2000 and... 12, say. The biggest aha in that body of work was that every single marketer and every single brand should be attempting to earn a disproportionate share of conversation for dollars spent. And I genuinely, every time I want to I put anything out there in the world, I want to drive conversation because conversation drives word of mouth. And even for a massive business like Airbnb, Word of mouth is still uh, one of the biggest generators of growth. And how do you stimulate word of mouth? Give people something to talk about. So it's it's, a, it's it's really simple, but I don't know about you, but I look at so many marketing messages out there and like, it's just wallpaper. They yeah. don't give me anything that I want to talk about. I, I, I totally agree. And you see Coke do things, Coca-Cola do things over time that is so consistent and so deliberate. You look at the polar bears, right? So consistent year over year. It's something that you expect to be in your life. You know, we've, we've talked about a bunch of times on the podcast, how upsetting it was that the Dos Equis most interesting man in the world ad campaign changed. Like we all actually like spending time with that ad. Like that was like, yeah, right. it's one of the few ones that you're that's like, right. this is pretty great. This yeah. is fresh. I would watch a TV show with him or whatever it is. And that consistency and ability to do that over time. How do you teach the companies that you work with, the founders that you work with, to think about the long term, to not just try to say, what's our campaign this year, but what is our campaign for the next 10 years? Mm -hmm. So a couple of things. First of all, you're right about legacy brands and how impactful they can be. I genuinely remember being five years old and seeing Coca-Cola Hilltop for the first time. And you've got to remember that that was before the internet. So yeah. people couldn't Google search Indian people in national costume or Nigerian people in national costume, yeah. you know? So when it was the first presentation of such a multicultural image that it actually was quite shocking in a good way for a lot of people. And I remember the first time I saw that. I also remember the first time I saw Mean Joe Green, the mm -hmm. um, Coca-Cola ad, Hey Kid Catch. And so my ambition was subconsciously driven by 
my recollection of those two moments because I wanted to make sure that once I was running the creative fortunes of the Coca-Cola brand, I had to do work that in 20 years time, people would still be able to recall and say, I remember where I was when I saw that ad. Yeah, gosh, that's great. That is the holy grail of brand. That is the holy grail of marketing. When you do work that is so substantive that people can genuinely recall where they were when they first saw it. And to be honest with you, that was Brian Chesky, the chief exec of Airbnb. That was his mandate to me for a lot of the stuff we did. We have to do work that's important. We have to do work that will last a long time, not out there in the moment, but last a long time in the hearts of the Airbnb community, the hosts and the travelers. And one of the questions that I quite often ask is, imagine the business is 10 times the size of what it is today. How have we impacted the world? And what's the story that the world is telling back to us because we're now 10 times bigger. I love that. And and that's a good way of kind of guiding the the future, if you like, but also balancing that future with the responsibility because you want to make sure that, that the impact is positive and the story that your community is telling you back is um, uh, one that's full of goodness. You know, before we got on air, we were talking about Mark Benioff and you had an interesting conversation with him I don't know how much you can actually share, but but I always think about him when I think about that idea of building something for where you're going and not where you are now. It just feels like Salesforce, and obviously, you know, Salesforce, uh, shout out to our good friends at Pardot who sponsor the podcast and are, are just great business friends, but they always feel like they're going for something that's way off in the distance and they're like bringing that to people now. And I, I just always, and I think, you know, Mark's one of the best marketers of all time. I think he gets credit for being a salesperson, but really he's a marketer, I think. I just think that there are so many leaders like that, whether it's Mark or Brian or, you know, you name it, that think like that, that are just thinking about where the company is going to be and marketing to there. Totally right. Totally right. So my story about Mark, one of the first calls that I got when we announced that I was leaving Airbnb to set up 21st Century Brand was from Ariana Huffington. And Ariana and I have known each other for a long time. We did some great work at Coca-Cola and we did some work at um, Airbnb together as well uh, to launch her book. Uh, And uh, she called me up and she said, look, I'm having dinner. I'm having dinner around at uh, Mark Benioff's house. I'd like you to come and join us and just have a conversation about 21st century brand. I didn't even have a business plan at the time. (laughs) My my founders, my co-founders weren't even confirmed in place. So I was completely intimidated but we went around to mark's house and what was so powerful about that evening is mark has a way of and he does this with i will i'm not a client but i know he does this with all of his clients he has a way of fueling a huge ambition for your business Mm -hmm. just through his questioning and he feels that it's a wasted day in somebody's professional life if they don't have a strong point of view on how they can truly transform the world via the business category that they're in. And I remember leaving his house, getting in my car, and it was as if somebody had poured sherbet in my brain (laughs) because I wasn't thinking big enough about the impact that my company could have. 
And I get the same when I was working alongside Brian Chesky. When you're working with these founders, it's such a joy because there's no idea that's too big. They just get really frustrated with small ideas. So we have, uh, as I mentioned, we have a company on site this week because we have a remote team. And in two days, we're going to be doing a Mission 11 Star Experience training. We're going to talk through Brian Chesky's 11 Star Experience. And I, I just think that that sort of thinking, that type of exponential thinking is so brilliant because once you push to the point of like, what is actually possible? Like, what are the, what could we do with this campaign? What is the next level? What is the next level? What's the level after that? Then you get back to your original thing and you're like, I guess it's not that hard. Mm. It's really not that hard. Right. Like we could probably have some, you know, like drinks ready for our guests or whatever it is. And I just love that type of thinking as a marketer, because I think a lot of times we limit ourselves by the size of our budget or the amount of work it will take or, you know, all of these things, all of these limitations. When you're in a cost center and you feel like you're a cost center instead of a revenue generating center, you kind of just limit yourself. What type of limits do you think that you've seen either founders or CMOs or, or marketing leaders kind of shackle themselves with over the years? Well, it's a great subject that you raise because when I was at Coca-Cola, I'd travel around the world inspiring marketers about the potential of storytelling and brand and the response was, oh, well, that's Coca-Cola, so you can yep. do that. Yep, you have billions uh, of money. Yeah, and yeah, and yeah. it's yeah. true, you know, the Coca-Cola North America budget was over a billion dollars. So when I started to have a conversation with Airbnb, my budget was greater than the valuation of Airbnb at the time. <laughs> that's like, and Airbnb that's was a property rental platform. Yeah. Was I going to really leave the world, one of the world's most recognizable brands to join a property rental platform? The answer to that is no. But then I met the founders and I met Brian and Brian wasn't asking for my ideas on how to build an even bigger property rental platform. Yeah, Brian was so steadfastly focused on what's it going to take for Airbnb to become the next global super brand that defines this generation and in so doing will forever change the way that people travel. That's huge. <laughs> that means that there's just nothing but space for all of the leaders at Airbnb to grow into. What does it take to create the next super brand? What does it take to be the brand that defines this generation? What does it take to become the homepage of travel? They're the questions that Airbnb asks itself, not what's it going to take to get another 100 homes on the platform? Yeah, I mean, I think that there's just so many times where you always say, but we're not that person. It's like JK Rowling wrote Harry Potter by sitting in coffee shops. She didn't have a billion dollars to write one of the greatest stories of all time. She just did it. That's right. And when I got to Airbnb to finish that thread, my global marketing budget was $25 million. That was PR, performance marketing, brand marketing, experiential, everything globally, $25 million versus the billion that I was investing in Coca-Cola North America. And then I, we started doing great work and I'd travel around the world and speak to various marketers and they'd say, oh, it's easy for you to do that Airbnb, isn't it? Because, you know, you, and you're not a legacy company. You've got nothing to lose. And so really- you have everything to lose. Yeah, exactly. That $25 million that the founders gave me in the first year at Airbnb was arguably the biggest budget that I've ever had because it was theirs. 
you know? And, and I felt such a huge responsibility. And the thing that I've learned truly is, and every single presentation that I ever do now on Airbnb, I put a cap on the cost of the idea at quarter of a million dollars. Because most of the brilliant ideas that uh, we executed at Airbnb uh, all cost less than a quarter of a million dollars. That's really interesting. That's fascinating. Because you could run a pilot and then test out further, or was it because, like, what, 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 was, the, what was the rationale there? Well, so, for example, there's one great case. I wanted to advertise on the Oscars, during the Oscars yeah. uh, broadcast. The reason why I wanted to advertise is because we'd started to do a really, really good job getting all celebrities to want to stay on Airbnb. Uh, we had people like Beyonce endorsing the platform and Justin Bieber endorsing the platform. Lot, lots of really, really cool um, celebrities. Never paid a dollar. Wow. Just gave them a great home, asked them to have a great experience. And if they liked it, then they'd talk about it. If they didn't, then we didn't want them to talk about it. <laughs> uh, and so for a while, Airbnb just became the kind of like, travel platform of choice for celebrities. Anyway, they're all coming to LA for the Oscars and I've got loads of celebrities staying in loads of homes and I thought it'd be nice for us to be part of the conversation. A 30 second ad during the Oscars broadcast is $2.5 million. Ooh. And I was happy to invest because I thought it'd be right. Uh, but there was a hotel company that sponsored the Oscars and the hotel company took a look at the media dollars that were flowing into the broadcast and said, sorry, Airbnb can't take the money. So in effect, Airbnb was blacklisted from the Oscars. Two and a half million dollars I was going to spend on traditional advertising. And so I pulled my team together, uh, my internal team and the agency Shire in LA. And I said, right, we can't advertise. I'm going to take away 90% of the budget that I was going to spend. I'm going to give you $250,000. And, uh, your job is to just become the most dominant brand using social media of the Oscars this year. And I'm going to, you know, literally, I got myself into this guerrilla marketing Nike mindset because, you know, Nike wouldn't have taken that lane, laying down. So we're not going to take it laying down. And we launched this campaign in partnership with Twitter, which was living the movies. And we did all sorts of things that um, you shouldn't do, like reference top movies and the like. And Airbnb became the most talked about brand of that entire weekend. And you saw the site traffic during that weekend just peak in the most glorious way. And then the cherry on the icing on the cake was um, it won several Can Lions. And really, it was a quarter of a million dollars. And it was great partnership with our lawyers, our in-house lawyers. And unbridled creativity it just had such a positive impact and they're the kind of stories that i want marketers to think about creating to your point that was remarkable because you know so many people remarked on that campaign over the course of that week and and on into the future as it started to pick up a whole lot of awards i think marketers struggle with the idea of their budget being what it is saying this is what i'm given from the leadership team right this is what the board is saying is good or wh whatever it is how do you think that 21st century brands should look at budgets and how to allocate money according to the type of results that they want to get over time and i'll and i'll caveat this with i think a huge problem that we all have is that 
you're supposed to think years out and you're supposed to budget quarterly. And so therefore those long-term campaigns, sometimes, sometimes, you know, maybe you buy an ad that's going to serve for a couple years, or, you know, maybe you got a discount because you went longer, whatever it is. I understand all that sort of stuff, but how do you think long-term well budgeting short-term? Mm. I'd like to try and keep it simple. And I know it's not always this simple, but certainly adds value. First of all, going back to what makes a 21st century brand, a purpose that transcends the business plan that everybody, including your investors, feel really, really good about. Yeah. So that's the long-term North Star of any brand to realize that purpose, to help realize that purpose. And then the smart strategic work is, what are the conversations that you need chapters of conversations, if you like, that you need to create to nudge that business towards that purpose. And then you can have chapters of conversations on a quarterly basis. And the science comes in when you're like, right, I know what chapter of conversation I'm going to be having this quarter. I now need to figure out the most effective way of catalyzing that conversation because it's all about earning a disproportionate share of the conversation. So I now need to figure out the most effective way of catalyzing that conversation. Is it through PR? Is it through performance? Is it through community endorsement? Is it through experiential? Is it through advertising? But I've always thought that marketing should be more real time because conversations are always real time. Yeah. Uh, and you should be able to be incredibly dynamic with the allocation of financial resource across different media channels, but never lose sight on, is this investment creating a conversation that is ultimately going to create value for the business? And is this conversation going to take us nearer to realizing our purpose? Yeah, I mean, I always thought that it's a really interesting idea that you have different vehicles that you can then place timely assets into. I feel like that's what's so exciting. And we, I mean, you know, obviously we have, you know, mobile ad networks and all that sort of stuff, but like, that's not like an impact thing necessarily. Like, yes, it can get the back end to, you know, make sure that you're capturing all the value that you're creating, which is, I think, super important. But like, just running a mobile campaign, for example, isn't necessarily like, it's timely, but is it that kind of deeper understanding? Are you really going to feel the purpose of a company or mission of a company with those ad units. Do you think that this stuff, you know, matters B2B, B2C? Like, is it relevant for all companies? Is it relevant for certain types of companies? Are 21st century brands like all different, you know, kinds of companies? Mm. Yeah. So if I look at, you know, B2B, B2C, B2B marketing lets itself down because it forgets that the person at the other end of the message is human. Uh, and has a set of emotional drivers that even though they may not claim to make a huge part of the purchase decision, there's science that evidences the fact that we purchase on emotion and we rationalize that purchase using much more rational yeah. um, uh, measures. And so... I see so much rational communication in the B2B world that I think is wasteful because it forgets that it, the audience at the other end of it is a human being. It's yeah. got deep, deep-seated 
emotional needs. All of my companies, whether it's Airbnb that launched business travel or whether it's Peloton that's moving its bikes beyond the home and into hotels, whether it's Uber that's just launched Uber for Business, GoDaddy, all of my clients are actually in that hybrid space of being B2C and B2B. Yeah, totally. And, and it's one brand. It's a great point. And both approaches, whether it's B2B or B2C, have to honor the commitment of building an iconic brand that serves a cultural purpose in the world. Yeah, I love there I forget who says this said this, but uh that marketing makes the promise and like it's product's job to keep the promise, right? Um, <laughs> and then when you have a company that's B2B and B2C, that marketing has to make two different promises. Um, but I love the idea of like trying to make sure that you have the same DNA for both of those promise that we are, you know, reliable or cheap or affordable or easy or whatever it is that you want to make sure that you're communicating and that that customer experience is, is consistent. Can I give you an example of that? So I'm Please. very emotionally driven professional. I'm a very emotionally driven human being. And um, I have never been interested at all in HR platforms. <laughs> Why would I be interested in HR platforms? It's never kind of crossed my radar. Then I'm set up my own company and, yeah, no, and I need an no. HR platform. And so I'm testing out a number of HR platforms. One of them, just one of them, the one that uh, we ended up working with, actually delighted me as a human being. And it was Gusto. So shout out to the team at Gusto. And the reason why I like it is every time I'm on it, it's not looking at me as the CEO of a company. It's looking at me as a human being with a bunch of people that I need to lead. And it's just fantastic the way that some platforms are built with humanity and human flow, literally baked into the DNA, which emanates across every single touch point. And you can tell those um, platforms that don't really understand the, the value and the role, the human role that they're playing. Yeah, we, we've talked about on a previous episode about this idea that people buy for different reasons. And most of the time, they're not for the reason that you think. It's like they're buying for the fact that they need a way to CYA. Like, I just need to tell my boss I bought something. Or I'm buying so that I could look smart to get a promotion. Or I'm buying so that... I stop getting pestered or I'm buying because I want to look cool or that, you know, my spouse, you know, is bugging me for something. I, I always think that, especially when you're working with a, a purchase that reaches everyone in your company, I mean, it's a huge deal, right? Like everybody gets paid or whatever it is, that there's ways to be remarkable within that. And when you get those emails, like everybody gets paid every two weeks or hopefully, or, you know, it's a big deal. How much does like, product centricity fit into this? Like, were you, you know, at Airbnb, I'd imagine you were sitting closer to product than like at Coca-Cola, for example. Mm -hmm. um, how much were you working with other teams, like multifunctional teams about making sure that the look and feel of the company from top to bottom through the customer experience and, and all the way back is cohesive? Like, and as you're working with 21st century brands, with your clients, how much are you looking at that, that the product delights the person and fulfills that promise to, to the marketer? Yeah, you cannot be a successful 21st century brand unless the product is the most tangible evidence of the purpose and the values and the creativity. Uh, we've just finished some brilliant work with the 
chief product officer and the chief marketing officer at Pinterest. Because once we'd landed on the new articulation of Pinterest purpose and be really, really clear that Pinterest is, without compromise, the world's inspiration company. So if Google is building a business, helping people find the information that they need to lead the lives that they want, Pinterest is helping people find the inspiration to lead the lives that they want. I love that. That's great. It's so powerful. It's so big and it's so true. It comes it's so true. Pro- I know. Product. Yeah. It's exactly what it was designed to do. I mean, you, you hear that all the time. I mean, that is like directly from the mouths of the, of the, of the users. But interestingly, in Pinterest's brand narrative, that had been forgotten somewhat. And so the work that we did was just to strip it back down to why does this platform really make a difference? Uh, and then so you come up with the new articulation of the cultural impact and the cultural responsibility that Pinterest is going to take on. And then you have to have the product org and the marketing org work in such a collaborative and creative fashion so that we can continue to design the product that lives up to the brand. Yeah. And because we're designing the product that lives up to the brand, then the brand has to hold the product front and center of its narrative and its marketing budget. And the more that we can see marketing orgs and product orgs coming together and coalescing around this important brand narrative, the more we're going to be able to future-proof these businesses. Uh, We're going to be able to satisfy our communities and we're going to be able to build really influential brands. And let's get into the technology stuff a little bit too, because I know that 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 refers to the product and the company, but also there's so many different technologies. How do you think that people, that these 21st century brands, the marketers at these brands will be able to leverage technology to have authentic experiences that are, you know, timely and relevant? Mm. I I think that the brands that are the most successful, uh, by the way, I have to shout out to most of the fast food brands. Mm -hmm. You look at Taco Bell's and how that engages real time in great social media commentary. Um, You look at Burger King, Burger King's constantly surprising and pushing forward the boundaries of what marketers think is actually possible. You look at Wendy's. I mean, there's something going on in that industry that means that it's uh, confidence in provoking unscripted, raw, authentic brand moments across all different platforms. It is now table stakes for marketing and being a successful marketer in that category. We could all look at fast food and go, right, okay, they seem to understand that you can give away that responsibility for the brand and give it a more authentic human voice. And the only thing you're going to do is grow your follower base and delight. And if you look at some of the uh, recent uh, share price performance, delight investors as well. Well, and really quick on this. Once marketers realized that getting followers was a good thing, it was all about getting followers rather than making stuff that's worth following. Right. And beautifully put, beautifully put. And all of those brands, you want to follow Wendy's because you want to see when they are tweeting about something. And now with like the way that algorithms work and all that, like it's going to get served to you once it's popular anyways. And it's going to get screenshotted and put on Instagram and, and all that sort of stuff. So it's really about having something to say, but you need to consistently have a team that's creative enough to be able to do that. Yeah, totally. And you know, even from a small business perspective, so, you know, we got our own company and 
I am not yet satisfied. I haven't yet figured out what our social media presence should be. It's so hard. It's really, really difficult. It's really hard. But in our space or an adjacent space, RGA, the digital agency uh, headquartered in New York, if you follow RGA on Twitter, it's hilarious. It's one of the most entertaining conversations on Twitter. It's just brilliant. And every time I look at RGA, I go, God, we've got to do better. We've got to do better. But to your point, whoever is responsible for Wendy's or RGA's social media um, presence, all they're doing is creating great stimulus that people want to talk about. And it's so inspiring. I want to touch on the team piece for a second, because I'm curious how you think a 21st century brand should build a marketing team. What do teams of the future look like? What do functions look like? Or just strategically, what does that look like? Mm. You know, I think you've just got to be really smart about what capabilities you're going to build in-house and what capabilities you feel you should outsource. Because depending on the need, like Airbnb's photographic needs were just enormous Yeah, because they're photographing every single experience and every single uh, Airbnb home. So when I got to Airbnb, we had an in-house uh, photo team that was huge. And then we figured out that there'd be a more efficient way of building the inventory. And so we started to work with a network of photographers on a global basis. And that's just one example where the strategic thinking on what the company needed to be built in-house as far as the marketing department was concerned shifted as the business also shifted. But without question, I think that you need to have fantastic business operations, you know, managing data, managing the financial resource, managing the process of developing marketing. You need a great strategic unit. That's a team of people that are really close to the consumer and the brand data. So what consumer segments need, what kind of brand messages, that's really important. Then you have brand marketing and performance marketing. And I would always put the two together. Yeah, I think if you can integrate your brand marketing function and your performance marketing function and have them, because the it really truly is when the left brain and the right brain of marketing can come together and you get such fantastic economies of scale, if both are well-coordinated and strategically aligned and investing in a, a way that is additive to each other. PR and communications, I think that should always be in the marketing department. I think it's really, really important, particularly if you're pursuing a marketing agenda that is going to generate a disproportionate share of conversation, then working with excellence in PR to manage that conversation is key. And then I wouldn't ever have a marketing department for a 21st century brand that didn't have in-house creative. Doesn't mean that everything comes from in-house, but in-house creators that really truly understand the essence of the brand and the essence of the community that they're serving. And you partner that in-house creative with the right kind of fit for purpose, external creative team. Then you are in a pretty strong position to do work as, every bit as brilliant as Wendy's. How do you think the role of agencies change over, you know, the next decade or so with the rise of the 21st century brand? Mm. 
It's such a fascinating subject because for the last 30 years, the death of the advertising agency has been well talked about. And for an industry that prides itself on innovation, it is remarkable how little innovation is actually baked into some of these really, really powerful advertising agency networks. I genuinely see, and it's coming anyway because of procurement and the pressure on pricing, advertising agencies cannot afford to stay full service, strategic, creative production. Yeah, I think what you'll see is a number of clients going to more bespoke agencies that can either just partner with them for strategy or just partner with them for creative or just partner with them for um, production. It was interesting. Last month, my two co-founders and I went down to uh, LA and we met over the course of three days. We met a dozen creative companies that uh, we were just interested in. Everything from production companies to advertising agencies to content creators. And I was really, really surprised because some of the most inspirational conversations that we had that really shifted my own ambition for what creative content can do for a brand was with the production companies. And the production companies who are just living and breathing different forms of content and different ways of distributing that content and mining for new types of storytellers, they're incredibly progressive. And if you're a client and you know how to deal directly with content creators, then I'm not sure that there is a reason why you would go full service. I mean, you're talking to a production house, so, you know, I mean, I wholeheartedly agree. I mean, I I think the thing that we're going to look back and realize that we had with agencies was a bunch of really brilliant people that had layers of bureaucracy that they couldn't escape or were promoted to, just like any company, they were promoted to a point where they're just managing people or doing this or that, and it's like, they would be best served in different ways. Those type of brilliant people and storytellers and creatives and all these people, you know, there's, you know, levels of bureaucracy also leads to levels of budget that kind of goes unaccounted for sometimes. So right. it's, it's just tough. It's tough when you're operating on a margin that is your customer or your client's profit margin, right? Mm-hmm. You know, when you're taking 10% of a deal, that's tough, right? So. I think that those type of like the way that storytellers can like rise and grow, I, I think it's just so powerful going forward. But, and obviously, you know, I wholeheartedly agree with what you're saying, but I think that there's still a place for all of the people in those companies going forward. And there's still a place for those skill sets. They just need to be arranged a little differently because you don't have as many large scale problems it's a thousand small problems. That's there's right. a thousand channels right. now. And there's channels that pop up every single second of every day that learning to leverage those smaller channels is really hard. And you have to be on the ground listening and learning to all those things. To your point earlier about having the brand marketers partner with performance marketers. You know, you have the person who's brilliant at running A-B tests and the person who's brilliant at creating copy. If those two people don't sit next to each other, what are you A-B testing? Absolutely right. Absolutely right. Right? And then it's like you get to the point, you know, 
Eric Reese says, A-B testing will get you to the point where it always ends in something bad. Um, <laughs> if you go all the way down the, down the thing, uh, it ends in something bad. And I think that there's just a huge place for all of those brilliant folks that grew up in agency. And life will change, but the opportunity, I think, on the other end is extremely optimistic. And it shouldn't be you know, looked at as the death of advertising. I think it's just the death of mass market media consumption. Uh, you know, when we had five TV channels, like, yeah, life ain't never, ever going back to that again. But what's interesting about what you said, and I completely, completely agree with you, is it isn't the people, it's not the talent. The talent in a traditional agency is just off the charts. Yeah. Brilliant. But it's the structure of both the agency model and the client organization, and then the process that the agency has to endure, and sometimes the client has to endure, to get to the creative. Those two things, structure and process, are getting in the way of being able to really unlock almost like the real-time creative potential of the talent that's locked in agencies and the creative talent that's locked in marketing orgs. I mean, and look at yourself, right? You said, you're like, I was not, I was not qualified for the role that I went into. And like, look at what happened, right? I mean, it's just one of those things like you don't ever feel like you are, you know, ready for that jump pretty much ever. (laughs) I don't think anyone ever feels ready for, for certain jobs. Maybe you do. But there's a lot of times where, you know, you have that imposter syndrome. And I think the agency world is probably a little scared that there's the imposter syndrome of like, you know, going to be an operator. And Mm -hmm. I think that that's totally understandable, but it doesn't mean that that's not coming because it is. It's interesting because if I was a young creator, a art director, a copywriter, a designer, I think I would be more motivated today to join a client org, a brand company uh, directly because you get to shape the brand directly. You don't have to sell the thing that's going to shape the brand. So that in itself means that there is a kind of talent drain from the traditional advertising industry to client organizations like Airbnb and like Pinterest and like Uber and Peloton. What was your most difficult moment during your time at Airbnb? Oh my goodness. Um, The most difficult time for anybody at Airbnb in 2016 would have been when the race discrimination on the oh, platform wow. was... Oh, wow. That was brutal. It, it, you can only imagine... Just, I lived through this, it, too, by the way. One in of my, what way? Uh, we went to on a trip to Scandinavia, and my friend does not look like a lot of traditional Scandinavians. Yeah, we loved... We had a brilliant time there. Everyone was super nice, everything, but uh, we had three different places that said no to him and said yes to me. Wow. Yeah. Wow. It was rough. Yeah. Was now, rough. imagine that being a reality for hundreds and hundreds of people all over the world. And yet, I'm the CMO that's yeah. going around the world saying, yeah, Airbnb, a world where you can belong anywhere. Yeah. And in truth, Airbnb had grown at such a pace that we weren't doing enough to really listen to the conversations that were going on on the platform and really understanding what some of the data was saying. And it was true that, you know, African-Americans in this country used to find it harder to find a decent place to stay on Airbnb. So the reality of what was going on on the platform was in direct opposition to the purpose of the company to create a world where anyone can belong anywhere. And it was as if 
you know, certainly from a marketing perspective, I ran a hundred miles an hour into a glass wall and it was, it was hurtful. And I'm a black gay guy and gay people were finding it difficult to stay in yeah. certain States and black people were finding it difficult. But again, under the leadership of Brian Chesky, he was so vocal and so intentional about cutting off about 20% of the work streams at Airbnb at the time. He paused so he could release all of that talent and put it on to fixing this problem. And we took decent out external counsel. We introduced new community initiatives like bias training, unconscious bias training. And uh, we introduced a new global community commitment for zero tolerance of any form of bigotry on the platform. And it was really remarkable to watch the company just kind of close in on itself, address this issue, take great external counsel, huge creativity, huge cross-functional collaboration to address the problem. And within eight months, we were confident enough that we'd done enough to clean up the platform with the chief exec going, you know, he was happy to slow down the growth of the platform and to get the bigots off the platform. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he, he was very public about that. And so that just created all of this incredible kind of momentum behind him. And in eight months, we went out on uh, the Super Bowl with what is the cheapest Super Bowl ad in history. It cost us $65,000 to shoot an ad that we did in-house. Oh, that's great. Uh, and um, uh, we went on to Super Bowl with the We Accept campaign. And that year, Airbnb and the We Accept campaign was the most talked about Super Bowl campaign of the year. And 95% of the sentiment was positive. And what was beautiful about that is everybody trusted Airbnb that it had cleaned up the platform. Bigotry and racism was a thing of the past. Uh, and people trusted the leadership of Airbnb. They trusted Brian Chesky and they trusted the brand. Uh, and they accepted the um, We Accept message on Super Bowl in the most glorious way. And that was a really remarkable end point to an incredibly stressful eight months. So I interviewed Chris Lahane on, we did a podcast called Future Cities. It was really interesting because one of the things when we were talking to him was about just like all the different trips that he goes on, you know, all over the world and the stuff that he sees. And it was one of these kind of like aha moments to see an executive you know, a company like Airbnb who has belong anywhere, who has a lot of this stuff, who just lives it every day. And it's just kind of like the kind of no nonsense of just like, yeah, of course, this is like who we are. And it just felt very, you know, authentic. And I kind of have always, I, I was super early to Airbnb. I don't know when I started, I think started my account like 2012 or something like that. Yeah, 13. really. Yeah, it was, like, it was really early. And because uh, it was just the most like common sense thing, like, Hey, you know how you know getting a place is absolutely awful when you travel. This is uh, way easier, and and it was something that I just always felt like the platform listened to the guests. You had hosts that like cared. You had guests that cared. You just had a lot of that sort of stuff. And to hear that, to hear the backlash of that, and then to see it firsthand was was one of those things that like was very damning. It was oh man, there's. There's stuff in our society that happens that is, you know, is this just shining light on bad stuff in the society or is this the platform, you know, creating a problem? And it was just cool to see the company just take it head on. Like 
absolutely, we're making this 100% a priority. This has to be a priority. And you know what it also did? And for leaders of companies that might be listening to this, it gave Brian Chesky a really powerful voice. He used his voice on social media to stand up against some of the immigration policies that uh, were being discussed in um, uh, under this current administration. Brian uh, is creating a platform where anybody should be able to belong anywhere. And if he sees that being compromised in the world, then he will also be public about it. And the reason why it's important to kind of end there is the purpose of the brand, the motivation of the community and the messaging of the chief exec. When you look at Airbnb, it's all entirely aligned. And there's not many companies uh, you can say on such a big issue that that alignment is so telegraphic. And that they can do something about it. Right, right. Like that's the other thing is, hey, let's actually look at the data. <laughs> let's, we have massive amounts of data. We have massive amounts of uh, intellectual capital at this company that can try to freaking solve stuff. Yeah. Like that's what's exciting. And that's what I think, you know, being a 21st century brand that has a purpose that is working towards that, you can always have an, a North Star. And, and it, you just use such a powerful phrase because it was really true during that eight month period. People want to solve problems. And sometimes the problems kind of get made on your watch and it's remarkable and it's so inspiring to see an entire company turn around and really address a problem with such ferocity and such creativity and ultimately such uh, effective impact. Let's get into the lightning round. Go on. Go lightning on. round questions, super fast, super easy questions, just like marketing automation with Pardot, fast and easy. Thanks to our friends at Pardot for just being amazing in all ways. Go to pardot.com slash podcast. They're great. Fast and easy. Are you ready? I'm ready. Never been readier. What app are you using on your phone that's the most fun? The thing that gives me the greatest fun, it would be Mr. Porter. I like buying clothes and now I buy everything online. Do you have a favorite vacation spot? Brazil. Ooh, where in Brazil? I'm never happier than when I'm on the beach of Ipanema. Oh, that's great. Isn't that a song? There, there is, yes. Yeah, girlfriend <laughs> from Ipanema. Um, what ad campaign have you seen recently that you're envious of? I would have to point to the Andy Warhol Burger King campaign at the Super Bowl. Mm. It was so... Oh, what I liked about it is I didn't like it when I saw it. And then I went on social media and I saw how much it had ignited the imagination of people who love Burger King and I became jealous. What either podcast or book have you listened to or read recently that you loved? Mm. Mastery by Robert Greene. Ooh, good one. It's yeah. brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. And I would encourage everybody to read it. Favorite show that you're watching? I'm a human slush bucket and... I get really, really, really pissed off when This Is Us doesn't make me cry. And I've watched all 36 episodes of This Is Us and I've cried at 33 of them. Oh, that's so good. What question do you never get asked that you wish you were asked more? Uh, honestly, it's interesting. I think it's what more can we do to make a difference? I'm in a really, really privileged position because I meet so many interesting people. 
And um, the world needs interesting people to make a real positive difference right now. And sometimes we're all too busy to ask how might we come together to make a difference. What's your best advice for a first time CMO? You will be successful the more you interrogate the leaders at the company and the heritage of the brand. A lot of the future problems that the brand might be asked to address will have already been thought about either in the leaders of the company or in the uh, decisions that went up to uh, some of the significant milestones of the brand's legacy. Jonathan, that's all we got. Anything else? No, I've really enjoyed it. Uh, this is the first time that I've done this in person. Uh, and uh, I really, really like it. It's good. Good. Thanks so much for hanging out today. It's been absolutely awesome. What's your Twitter handle again? I forget. It's uh, at Mildenhall is personal and at 21CB is company. Yeah, and everyone check out 21stCenturyBrand.com. We'll link it up in the show notes. You know, we're just really excited to see all the work that, that you all are doing. This is, this is great. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for having me. Yep. Cheers. Thanks for listening to this episode of Marketing Trends. Marketing Trends is brought to you by Salesforce Pardot. World-class B2B marketers use Pardot to generate and nurture leads, close more deals, and maximize ROI at every stage of the sales cycle. Empower your marketing team to become revenue-generating superheroes and let Pardot's data analysis keep an eye on the bottom line. Learn more by visiting pardot.com slash podcast or click on the link in our show notes. You have eight seconds to make a connection or risk a click away onto the next topic. The difference lies in your ability to deliver relevant experiences to your audience across devices and across channels. But delivering on a really great experience is impossible without the right people and the right technology. You've got the right people, but your technology choices will make or break someone's experience with your brand. At the center of gravity of your digital experience, Brightspot Content Management System can deliver relevant content, personalized experiences, and cross-channel synergies to create unforgettable brand experiences. So you can be a bright spot in someone's day. Head over to brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to find out right now. From global crisis to hunger relief efforts, the messages you deliver save lives, inform important decision-making, and help keep communities safe and sound. The speed and scale of your content needs to be delivered faster, and on a much larger scale. Brightspot Content Management System has supported some of the world's largest brands to communicate on a global scale. From Johnson & Johnson sharing critical information with their customers to helping Whole Foods tell their brand story to a global audience. Brightspot is designed to handle rapid iteration and personalized messages to those you care about most. Learn more at brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends.